forces are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. All right, welcome back to another edition of Winning Ponies. Thank you very much for joining us. Of course, everybody is ready to get their freak on or preak on. That would be the 143rd running of the Preakness Stakes. A little bit shorter than the mile and a quarter of the Derby, the second jewel of the Triple Crown. This will be a mile and three sixteenths. And Justify hopes to justify his odds-on favorite. He drew post number Lucky 7 in an eight-horse field and was made the odds-on favorite, and rightfully so. From what I understand, the weather has not been kind in the Baltimore area, which tells us he might catch an off-track. Does he like an off-track? Well, he's undefeated on wet tracks. As a matter of fact, broke his maiden by nine and a half lengths at Santa Anita. Um, and then after that, came back to his first muddy track going a mile. Won that by six and a half. Uh, Santa Anita Derby caught a fast one. Pretty much went from flag fall to that's all. And then, of course, in the Kentucky Derby, raided off the pace ever so slightly, took the lead, turning for home, and splashed his way to a two-and-a-half-length victory in the Kentucky Derby. And it was a very rainy and sloppy day. I know because they set the record for rainfall, and I was lucky enough to be in it. So Justify is the odds-on choice. Back to challenge. Well, the top challenger, Good Magic, who was good enough to run second and hold Audible off by a head in that rain-soaked derby. So he's proven himself on and off track. Uh, he was last year's two-year-old champion, now three-year-old son of Curlin, shopping for his second win of the season. Did win the bluegrass in Kentucky and stayed there to train up until the Preakness. Uh, other uh, derby horses, Kentucky Derby 8th place finisher Lone Sailor from the Tom Amos Barn will be in here. And also Bravazo, who ran 6th in the Kentucky Derby from the D. Wayne Lucas Barn. Hard to throw him out. So they're trying to come back, but it's going to be hard. Bob Baffert has an amazing record in the Preakness Stakes when he comes in there with the Derby winner. And quite frankly, he hasn't taken a bad step. Pretty much took easy... <laughs> Excuse me. Got some of that pollen up. Uh, uh, just easy gallops. He's already tightened. He was conditioned for a mile and a quarter. He's going a little bit shorter. Uh, you, you can see the videos online. He just kind of took it easy with him all week. As I do recall, he did his other derby horses when he was going on to the second jewel of the Triple Crown. So the big race of the week, the grade one Preakness. You're listening to Winnie Ponies. want to thank our friends north of the border. Our sponsor is Woodbine. And as the season grinds on, we're going to be previewing and highlighting more of the top group graded races up at Woodbine and they're going to give us plenty of help with expert handicappers and of course when these big days and it's a huge day uh, at, at Pimlico I mean 
we are talking the last race uh, is uh, going to go off about, uh, oh, I don't know, 7.30 in the evening, I think. Uh, the uh, Preakness is the 13th race, so a lot of race action, which means big pools, full fields, your opportunities to make a big hit, and no better way to make a big hit than using Winning Pony's easy win forms. We had a nice score at Pimlico earlier in the week, a $1 Super 5, paid just over $3,000. That was a Super 5 key that we used. And don't forget, West Virginia's open and uh, did very well there this week. A $1 Super paid $2,400, and a $1 Super 5 box paid 2167 So coming up on the Preakness Stakes, you're going to want to use your easy win forms. Well, all that well and good, John, but who are you bringing on to talk to us this week? Well, I'm going to bring one of the top writers, an award-winning writer. As a matter of fact, two award-winning writers. The first one will be Frank angst from the blood horse frank's been a regular on winning ponies and uh, frank penned a very good column this week as you know perhaps the biggest headline uh, not only in racing but in sports period is the supreme court overturning the ruling and allowing states to decide whether or not they want to have sports betting that will be interesting to see what happens they say it's not going to happen overnight but some states are planning on implementing it rather quickly, they say. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But Frank's been following the story very, very close. So we're going to talk about the uh, sports betting in North America with Frank and whether or not it's going to take place at tracks, whether or not racing is going to get a cut of it, um, how it's going to be determined, uh, probably on a state-by-state -state basis. You know, some may limit it to certain places that already have proven themselves as tax-paying betting entities. Other ones might just have kiosks at the ballpark, for all we know. So again, Frank... Anks will be will be tuning in on that, and then of course one of our favorite guests, Tom Lamara, is going to be with us. Tom has uh, changed his address to the Maryland region, and I thought who better to have on for races from Pimlico than none other than Tom Lamar. Tom's also going to tell us a, a little bit about a new series that's going on or being revitalized, and that is the uh, Preakness Weekend Match Series. They're they're doing that again. So uh, we'll see a, a cooperative effort of tracks, horsemen's group, and breeders groups in the Mid-Atlantic region. That's who Tom represents now. Uh, this year's match series offers bonuses for owners, trainers, breeders, based on performance in 25 stakes races throughout the region. I'm not going to tell you all about it. That's where I bring the experts in. But Tom's also going to help me handicap two days of, of racing. Of course, on Preakness Day, we're going to cover the grade one Preakness stakes, uh, but we'll also see, some people are saying the races are going to stay on the turf, the graded races. Uh, the grade two Dixie, last year's winner in there, world approval, back for another try, but this is a race that's got a few question mark horses in there and some interesting angles. That's going to be on Saturday, but action cooks up tomorrow so get out of work a little bit early if you can don't forget that the uh, key race tomorrow will be the black eyed susan it's kind of the uh, second leg of the kentucky oaks in a way it's for three-year-old fillies most of them are going to be tested at the distance a mile and an eighth so we'll see who tom likes in there uh looks like a very evenly matched group no odds on favorite in that field and then of course the legendary 
Grade 3 Pimlico Special, another race that brings us a lot of question marks. So hopefully uh, Tom Lamaro will be able to uh, answer some of those questions and question marks uh, with us here on Winning Ponies. So I look forward to talking with both Tom and Frank. Well, let's take a look at some of the news of the week as soon as I get my handy-dandy computer to scroll for me. And uh, the uh, Supreme Court ruling, of course, that the the, the top headline at the time. And then uh, I don't know if you tuned into Belmont on Saturday and you were trying to hit the daily double. You had to wait a little bit because uh, the the jockeys uh, put in a bit of a, shall I say, mini boycott uh, before the races uh, at Belmont. And boy, when you look at some of the reasons they've laid out, uh, you can see why they are uh, not a, a happy group in at Naira right now. So they delayed the card. Uh, they say 37 minutes. It seemed longer than that, but maybe it was delayed before they even got up on the horse. It seemed like about 55 minutes. But uh, they just, uh, they're trying to get a conversation with Naira and they want to make a statement. And since uh, some of the top jockeys uh, are there, they decided that's where they were going to do it. So uh, some of the issues they say are easily resolved and some aren't, you know, especially the concussion protocols. Uh, that's going to be very complex. And, uh, you know, uh, we'll see what's happening. Supposedly things were going to happen sooner about the concussion protocols. As you may recall, we've had several interviews, including with doctors that are trying to get that done starting in Kentucky. Hasn't happened yet. But also just uh, some of the uh, things like no hot water at Aqueduct. <laughs> well, you're riding in the winter. You can bet those guys are looking forward to hot water when the races are over. So we'll see if we can get Johnny V or somebody on to, to talk about that. Well, hats off to a great rider, Edgar Prado. Eight in the country now. 7,000 wins. So uh, congratulations to him for crossing that very important uh, uh, plateau. He went up to Parks Racing, had three mounts, and he got it done with the funds are low. Now, Edgar is now 50 years old. He came from the famous uh, jockey school in Lima, Peru. And again, he's only the eighth North American-based rider to reach 7,000. Thousand! Uh, what a career uh, he has had. He earned the Eclipse Award at Outstanding Jockey in 2006, got inducted into the Racing Hall of Fame in 2008, and don't forget he had that upset victory in the Belmont aboard Sarava, who you can go meet down at Old Friends Farm if you want, over Birdstone, and... Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. Sarava was over uh, War Emblem, and Birdstone was over Smarty Jones. So he broke up two triple crown bids. Now, somebody we've had on the show a few times, I want to congratulate him. Jockey of the Week, Brian Hernandez, got the votes from the Jockeys Guild. He had at least one win on every Churchill card last week and picked up four wins on Thursday, including three in a row to close out the card. How about this? This is how many people like him. His 10 wins came for six different trainers. I'll tell you, Brian Hernandez is really a class act from a riding family. Uh, His father, brother, and sister, uh, his father's retired now, but his brother and sister are still riding. Uh, So uh, in 2018, he's already ridden winners of uh, $2.1 million, 44 races, and 310 starts. Well, now for a little bit out of the bad news department, and that is the fact that old friends had to announce that 
two of their coolest cats are no longer with us. And uh, that is Tour the Cat, who at 20 years old died very suddenly. And then a horse I'd been talking about, you know, I had Joe Steiner on about a month ago talking about the rehabilitation of uh, three-time Ohio Horse of the Year, Cat Launch. Uh, He was euthanized due to chronic neurological disease. I know that he did, in fact, uh, call me uh, while uh, I was driving to tell me that he was on his way to go to old friends to uh, see Cat Launch for one last time because he had just gotten to a, to a position where uh, he, he wasn't going to be able to uh, have uh, comfort. So, again, uh, going to miss old Cat Launch. I love the horse. Uh, knew him and all his connections uh, uh, personally, uh, but no longer with us. And here's another interesting horse. Remember Patch, who last year competed in the Kentucky Derby, the one-eyed horse? Well, he came back with Johnny V in the saddle for a beautiful off-the-pace victory, trainer Todd Pletcher. So we see if he can get back on his winning ways. Uh, he's a Calumet Farm homebred out of the winning AP Indy mare, Windy Indy. Okay, quick look at last week's uh, races that we looked at. Then we're going to get Frank Angst on with us at Belmont Park. The man of war on the inner turf went to High Happy, uh, who's a slight favorite. Nice ride by Louis Saez, who settled in second and got the job done through the lane. In the second spot was Sadler's Joy, who's his own worst enemy. Rallied strong, but rallied from last and ran out of ground. The other race we looked at was the Peter Pan Stakes. And Ed's top pick, Blended Citizen, off at 9-2. to two. Got the job done running down the leader in the Peter Pan. We might see some of these horses in the Belmont Stakes. Finishing second was uh, the favorite, Core Beliefs. And in the third spot, just whistle, finished up third. So we will see if any of these horses come out of that race and go in the Belmont. Okay, that's last week's races. This week's news. Now we're going to talk about the top story in sports news, not just racing news. We're talking about sports betting in the United States. You're listening to Winning Ponies. I'm John Engelhart. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. 
pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full field with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, one of the top writers in the country. He's part of the the award-winning Eclipse Award-winning team there at uh, the Blood Horse. None other than Frank Angst. You've heard his voice quite a bit on these Winning Ponies airwaves. Frank, welcome back to Winning Ponies. Hey, John, how are you? I'm I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Uh, you know, it, it it's not just. Uh, on the racing news, I mean, up here in, in, in Cincinnati, it's all over the, the radio stations. And I'm not just talking about, you know, the, the, the sports station. It, it's a mainstay of the news up here because there's so many questions to be answered. I've heard, uh, you know, politicians being interviewed, uh, sports fans, uh, people at betting entities. And, uh, you know, there there's just so many angles and so many things to be discussed concerning the Supreme Court's ruling on sports betting and the fact that they're going to allow the uh, the states to uh, to you know decide which you know direction they want to go. And right now, there's there's not a uh, cookie cutter. Uh, you know, plan of action that say, okay, this is probably the best way to do it. Let's do it this way. Uh, can you just kind of capsulize, you know, your first responses in the article you wrote for the Blood Horse this week? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the interesting thing. It's going to be a state-by-state process, which uh, people in racing are familiar with that. It's the same setup as racing, and that's always, that's been the trick, you know, that's usually how things are set up gambling-wise. It's, it's regulated from state to state. New Jersey uh, was was uh, really the most invested in this, and they're the ones that pursued the case all the way to the Supreme Court decision. And Monmouth Park is pretty well ready to go. I mean, it's probably a matter of days, maybe a couple weeks before they open an on-the-premises sports book. Now, when you say on-the-premises, are we talking racetracks or are we talking casino? Yeah, in New Jersey... Um, you are they're they're going to start with on-site um, sports books at casinos and racetracks. And a few years ago, Monmouth Park uh, partnered with William Hill, the sports the, the uh, sports book out of uh, I think they're based in Great Britain, England, and they built a really nice facility that they've been using as basically a sports bar simulcast area. But the 
thought all along was that would be the, the hub of their of their sports book on site at Monmouth Park. Uh, well, uh, now how do you, uh, you know, th- the impact on racing, is racing going to get a cut? Will that be decided on a state-by-state basis? Uh, yeah. You know, uh, you know, you know. I mean, as I said at the top of the show, it, it could be anywhere from you know uh, the sports bar at your local Racino to a kiosk at Great American Ballpark. I mean, yeah. So the, the the question is: Is this going to run racing out of town, or is uh, right. is racing going to be a good venue for the sports betters? So right. if a guy's not watching a football or baseball game, he might decide to to play the ponies. That, that's what I think. I, I, I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a new world, so you know, maybe we'll be surprised. Hopefully, hopefully, we'll be pleasantly surprised. But I, I, I actually think it's going to be good for racing. I, I think people that are betting sports are already betting it. I think they're betting it with bookies. They're betting it with uh, gray area online sites. It's, uh, who knows if they're going to be open the next time you go there? But I think a lot of the people are already betting sport on uh, betting on sports anyway, and I think that will largely be the market. I think they'll just shift to uh, regulated, legal online wagers. The important thing for racing is to have a voice in all this uh, as each state develops their own rules. I don't know that uh, racing will get a cut per se, but I think it's important that these that these places benefit racing. And, and if it's being run by by a company like a Churchill Downs, uh, which obviously has some tremendous experience in advanced deposit wagering with Twin Spires, if they're if they're one of the sites, if it ends up going online and they're one of the sites that are participating, then I think that should benefit racing. I, I think when there's a direct tie like that, and hopefully there are some direct ties like that. Now, I think one misconception that might be out there is racing obviously has had a tremendous amount of money come in from added gaming, Ohio being one of the more recent states. And, and that's been a real big boost for purses. We're not talking about that kind of money. I, I, that money, I don't think is going to exist on this in terms of just sheer numbers. I looked it up today uh, for Nevada for the past 12 months. Um, it, it, it looked to me like the the slots did like $7 billion in in that's what they generated. Uh, they didn't really list the handle, but they generated $7 billion profit. The table games were like $4.5 billion with the both of those with a B, whereas the sports and racing was like $385 million with an M. So it was really like 3% of Nevada casinos handle. Um, so I think that gives some perspective that, yes, these are going to be, this is a significant thing, but I don't think we're talking about the same kind of revenues that came in with casino gaming. The good news for racing, well, it's good news with, I guess, the potential problems is that I think the customers that play, that bet sports, that that bet sports are very much the customers that bet racing. I think anyone that's been to a casino, the casinos are well aware of that. The sports book and race book are usually one and the same. Um, So that, and I think that's good news because if you bet, if you bet an NFL football game, you're locked in for three hours. Um, you know, hopefully you bet five or six races while you're waiting for the outcome of that game. I, I think that's the type of thing we're looking at is now there's there's potentially going to be more outlets that are showing these sports 
And as long as racing's at the table, racing should be included in that. And I think that's where the added interest can potentially come from. Well, you know, there was a very interesting, and you probably read it, the analysis from Daniel Singer and uh, uh, Ben Von Willer, who lead global sports and gaming uh, in, uh, for their company, uh, McKinsey and Company in New York, right. is one thing they, they, they stated right at the top of their analysis was, if you think about it in perspective, take a step back historically, that racing has continued to prosper in countries with legal sports betting. Yeah, I mean, exactly. uh, there's there will be differences between the, the U.S. and other racing jurisdictions. But uh, you, you think about England, Australia, and Ireland, they all have uh, high levels per capita gross win from horse racing than the U.S. So uh, despite exactly. the fact that they, that they have, you know, long-time legal online sports betting options, uh, I, I just think uh, I think there's a kind of a crossover between sports bettors and horse players. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that they have a lot more in common than, than your typical sports player. I think racing was always up against it to try to move some of those players over into the racing side, whereas I think these two activities complement each other. Um, I think it's, you know, people that want an edge and want to have an opinion and then express that opinion with a wager. So that's very much, the you know, very much the same customer. My, my bigger concern for racing is that I think with this, this very much opens the door for some Potentially good things. Uh, I think we can have more future wagers. Um, the future wagers should be more exciting. I mean, Churchill, because of the limitations of paramutual wagering, they, they limit their derby wager to 24 interests, uh, with the 24th being all other horses. Whereas that really takes a lot of the excitement out of if you open it up to every three-year-old, then people can really assign some nice odds to these horses, you know, if you want to pick them in January ahead of the, of the race. So I think that's an exciting thing. The, the important thing, again, though, is that racing, is that racing gets compensated for that because uh, potentially what's to, what's to stop a casino and, and, well, and I mean, this already goes on in Las Vegas, but uh, it, say in New Jersey, if they want to have a derby future book, I don't know that there's a rule that says that they have to go pay any money to Churchill Downs or horsemen or purses or anything else. Other than if it, I guess, yeah, it's they, made at Monmouth Park, it would potentially benefit New Jersey horsemen. Well, you know, I, I think about some of the really nice race books I've been in, and it would be yeah. perfect to just put a TV on. What, depending on the season, whatever ball game of interest or several ball games of interest are being played. Plus, as you know, a lot of places either sell or the regular customers get personal kiosks, you know, with televisions. Um, <clears throat> and they can jump from uh, Keeneland and Belmont to, uh, y- you know, a, a football game or a hockey game or whatever just while they're sitting there. They can be in complete control yeah. and just go to the window and bet. Obviously, th- I, you know, I, I think the one thing we're all concerned about is jobs. So I'm just thinking yeah. that would even ensure more during the off season uh, jobs for other racetrack workers, uh, you, you know, yeah. from everything, ticket sellers, maintenance people, audio visual people. I mean, it goes out all the people it takes to put that signal out there and to sell bets. You know, they've got a little more job security now. Exactly. And it, it also creates a situation for tracks. I know a lot of tracks are up against it. Just opening the doors on a Wednesday to offer simulcast, you know, say on a dark day, they're not racing live. 
it's a real expense for a track to open the doors for, you know, for 200 people maybe that want to bet the winter, you know, winter racing. And uh, that can be expensive. And I, I don't know that a lot of tracks even break even on ventures like that. Now that you have the sports wagering as the hook, you have that extra revenue coming in. And you can hopefully set up a nice place that works for everybody that the track can make some money off of that. People can come in, bet sports, bet horse racing. I think it, def- I think it's, it has real potential there for sure. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think it'll open up some marketing opportunities if they do, in fact, get it at the tracks, that there's maybe some things you can do to maybe move their eye over to a particular track, maybe an on-site handicapper or something like that, or, you know, so-and-so Racino's play of the day and offer some kind of special, you know, on a certain bet or something. There's there's nothing preventing preventing places from tying wagers together. I mean, pick, pick, the, <laughs> pick the feature race at Churchill Downs and pick the the Louisville football game. I mean, you, <laughs> you can roll whatever you want together. I mean, it, it's, potent, again, potentially, because every state's going to set up their own rules and regulations. But really, the for, as of right now, there's not a lot to find. So there's just a lot of possibilities out there that could really open things up. Well, Frank Anks from the Blood Horse, uh, I've got a good friend of yours, a, a, a former teammate, Tom Lamara, coming up here at the, the bottom of the hour. But before I let you go, uh, let me just throw this out there. I mean, uh, unless but somebody rolls a boulder out on the racetrack, is there anything that ju- can get justified beating the Preakness? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I feel like he's not going to run his best race, and I, I just wonder if, even without running his best race, he potentially could still win. But because I don't think he's going to run his best race, I'm I'm not going to bet on him. I'm not sure. I, I really like good magic, but good magic actually has some of the same factors. I just think the two-week turnaround off a tiring track is really not ideal. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm not sure that the field is of the quality that they can spring the outset. So that'll be the interesting thing. All right, we've been listening uh, to Frank Anks. Frank, uh, keep up the great job you do. Hope to have you back on soon. And uh, wish you nothing but the best, my friend. Thanks, John. appreciate it. All right, that was Frank Anks. Going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be listening to Tom Lamara. I'm John Engelhart. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 
Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and back with me, one of my favorite people in racing and in my life, none other than Tom Lamara, who has moved his tack from Lexington to the Mid-Atlantic regions, shall we say. We won't just pin him in one city because he, he covers the, uh, the, the the racing and the issues for all of the, the, the Mid-Atlantic tracks, and that's none other than Tom Lamara. Tom, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, John. How are you? Just, um, you know, we're trying to stay dry here, but uh, that's not going to happen tomorrow. I can tell you that. Well, you know, know, (laughs) yeah, one of the races I was hoping to look at with you, and I I was reading some headlines and press releases saying, oh, we're going to get the grass races in as uh, uh, the the grade two Dixie. Uh, So I started circling all the horses that do well on soft tracks, uh, which I think is going to be the angle there. It's going to be a long day. Will you be at Pimlico on Saturday? Friday and Saturday, yes. Okay. And uh, – do they have a press box laid out for you guys? Will you be hoofing it, or what's going on? Well, there is a press box. Um, what I do is uh, uh, work in the horseman's office on the first floor. So I will not be uh, up in the press box, but, um, you know, we have an office um, right next to the racing office, and then you walk through the grandstand, and you're right out on the apron. It's just a lot more convenient anyway. Plus, I do work for the horseman's group, so that's where I belong, so, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, you, you, you've kind of changed jackets, you know. You're getting a little more taste of what I've had as a, you know, publicist for all these years. Uh, Correct. Rather, <laughs> r- rather than just an esteemed sports writer in his ivory tower. Uh, right. Not that, not that you ever were, Tom. I, I ran into you more at small racetracks on a non-stakes day than I ever ran into you at the Derby Oaks or Bluegrass. That's because I spent more time at places like River Downs and Turfway and, geez, even Beulah, for heaven's sake. <laughs> <laughs> even Lebanon I'll never, Raceway. I'll I never mean, forget. Yeah. I got I to share this with our listeners, Tom, and you tell me if I'm wrong. So I'm talking to you about, I'm going to say five years ago. And I say, oh, Tom, so uh, you're going to be down there. You're going to get to cover the Kentucky Derby. And you're going, yeah, I think I have to. I said, what do you mean? I said, what do you mean? He's, you said, I really want to be at Beulah Park for their last day of racing. <laughs> I did, actually. Yeah, I did want to be there, and it's too bad that I wasn't. But, you know, um, you know, I still have a lot of, a lot of good memories there. Uh, you know, some nasty winter days, but some nice days of, you know, the State Bread Championships, you know, and stuff like that. You know, so a lot wow. of good people. A lot of good people up there. So, I, I really have a kinship and a brotherhood for guys like you, Tom Lamara, and uh, D- 
DRF's Joe Nevels, who I know you know. Yeah, he, he's another one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he is, because yeah. you guys, you know, you, you came up in Jersey and, you know, he came up in Michigan and you guys never lost respect for the little guy and, and the smaller horseman and uh, kind of the working man's hero. Uh, Joe penned a really nice story on Cat Launch last week. You probably heard that he passed away at Old Friends. I and, did. Uh, God, I saw so many of his races, too. I you know, know, I know. And you guys have, I, I'm going to say, a respect for racing at every level. You know, I, yes, you've seen the greats. I know that because you've had to cover the Triple Crown. But uh, I, I, you know, in the bottom of my heart, I respect guys like you because you have a, a an entire appreciation for the sport and the hard work that the people put into it. Yeah, you know, um, it's come in handy with my current job. You know, I mean... It was always sincere, and and I still like you know I still like you know I'll I'll drive out to Charlestown or up to Penn National or whatever you know that's for the hell of it you know and hang out and you know but it does come in handy in my job because you know um you know a lot of the people that are members of the organizations are you know they're they're you know they're squeezing out a living you know they have issues you know that. You know, they try to address or that we try to address. And it's really nice to see them, you know, when they come up with a really, really nice horse. And, you know, it may just be a Merlin bread steaks horse or something, but it's nice. You know, a lot of people rally around that kind of stuff. And uh, it just it, it just helps you have more of an appreciation for, you know, the horses and the people in the business. So. It does, but you, you, you always have. Well, uh, you know, this gives me a perfect segue into what I wanted to ask you about uh, because uh, there was something called the Match Series uh, that uh, the Thoroughbred Horsemen's Association chairman and CEO Alan Foreman was the driving for, horse, force behind back from 1997 to 2001 that's uh, going to that's be rekindled, shall we say, and it's called the Match Series. And so what this does is it's a series of races that offers bonuses for owners, trainers, and breeders based on the performance of 25 races throughout the Mid-Atlantic region from mid-May through mid-September. Can you tell me a little bit about the, the rebirth of this effort, what's gone into it, and what's going to happen? Yeah, um, um, MATCH stands for the Mid-Atlantic Thoroughbred Championships. And like you said, it ran for five years. And then um, it went away for 16, yeah, 16 years. And there have been discussions over the, you know, the past 16 years to bring it back. And things just didn't work out. You know, when the MATCH series was created, the NTRA had just gotten started and there was a big emphasis on marketing. There seemed to be, I don't want to say that there was more money in the business then, but there was a lot more money that was spent on marketing back then. And, um, you know, so, so the series was formed. It was popular. Um, it might've been a little too heavy in the number of races and, uh, you know, but, um, this time around, there was the feeling that it's kind of uh, it's kind of it's kind of settled down around here. Um, you know, there are still the same issues that some racetracks have, but there's more of a cooperative effort um, 
a lot of the cooperative, excuse me, cooperative effort stemmed from the THA pushing for the um, uniform medication rules, and that started in the Mid-Atlantic about, I don't know, maybe six years ago. So all the states have kind of been working together, and according to Alan, he, he, saw, a, he saw an opportunity where maybe it was time to move into, you know, the racing and marketing end again, try it out. You know, you know it's just 25 races, um, um, you know, at, I think, seven tracks. Um, the Pennsylvania HBPA, this is not just a THA thing, and it wasn't years ago. The Pennsylvania HBPA, um, you know, was one of the first to say, yeah, let's do it. They represent horsemen at Penn National, which was in the series before. And Presque Isle Downs, which, which uh, actually was not even around when the match series was held, but now it is. So Presque Isle Downs is actually hosting a couple races, which is nice because it's got the only synthetic surface in the Mid-Atlantic. Of course, it's in Erie, so it's in the extreme Mid-Atlantic. It's actually more associated with Ohio, I think. But, <clears throat> excuse me, but so the idea is they put together a series of races, um, the participating tracks committed not to run races that would overlap with the match races. And um, so, you know, it, it starts on Friday and Saturday at Pimlico, and it runs through the uh, mid-September at um, the last weekend is at three, uh, Laurel Parks and Presque Isle Downs. So we'll see how it goes. You know, we're hoping it goes well, but we realize that it will be, um, you know, tweaked um, moving forward. Well, you know, and, and that's good. I mean, uh, you know, even things I do now, I'm trying them for the first time or the second year, and we, we try to find out that when we do something, that how can we do this better? Let's get the input from the participants and, and, and see how we can make it even better. But, I mean, total purse money, the 25 races, is $2.9 million, and the horsemen are competing for 450000 in bonus money, and uh, all the way down to first, second, and third, uh, you know, I understand that there's bonuses, not only to the breeders, but to the trainers of these horses. I, I think it's a great effort, Tom. Yes, and, you know, um, the point is to try to get people to run in as many races as possible, and each division, there's five divisions with five races. So if you run in four or more in your division and um, uh, you receive bonus points, which obviously would help you have a much better shot of winning, you know, the prize money at the end. So we hope that it works out. You know, um, the races at Pimlico generally attract horses, you know, from outside the Mid-Atlantic, and that is the case again tomorrow in, in most of the match races. So, you know, we may be looking at a winner of a match race over the next couple of days, you know, that may not have any intention of coming back, but there are still four more opportunities for the horses who are based in the Mid-Atlantic and New York. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. It's exciting. You know, we're trying to, you know, trying to bring people together, trying to bring the tracks together on scheduling of stakes, which is extremely important. Hopefully this is a good start, and hopefully it'll grow. And, you know, there's been talk about, you know, having New York involved, 
Um, Charlestown is interested. They just right now the horsemen, you know, in the truck don't have um, the purse money or the funds to pay the bonuses, but that could change in the future. And Virginia may end up uh, racing again next year. <clears throat> so maybe they could jump back in. So we'll see how it goes. All right. Well, let's let's segue from the mash, match portion of this show uh, to go on to Pimlico. Uh, let, let's get right out of the gate real first with the biggest race of the year in the area. As a matter of fact, it's known as the most important race in New York, and that is the Preakness Stakes. Because yeah, this will right. this will determine whether thirty thousand or one hundred thirty thousand people show up for the Belmont Stakes. And you know that everybody involved in Naira is really rooting for Baffert and Justify. As as I said to Frank. He thinks there's could be a chink in his armor, um, unless they roll a boulder out in front of his path. I, I, I don't see I don't see Justify getting beat. Well, you know, I, I, a lot of people are saying that, and you know, looking at his races, that's you know that's understandable for people to say that. I, I you know, I'm still not sure. Uh, oh, I did not bet the Kentucky Derby this year, but that's not the first time that I didn't. At the Kentucky it a, Derby. It was a tough one, Tom. I well, don't blame I, I just didn't. Well, I just didn't. Nothing really, really jumped out of me. Jumped out at me, including Justify. I mean, yeah, he was three for three and all that kind of stuff. But you know, um, he ran a great race. Um, you know, they crawled home, which I, I, I don't know if that's really a big deal or not. Um, he's run. Extreme well, well, he's won all of his races, and a couple of the races were on um, muddy or sloppy tracks, and he's handled them perfectly fine. I think, though, you know, um, I, for some reason, I like tenfold. Um, of course, he didn't run in the Derby. He he was kind of like a flat fourth in the Arkansas Derby. Um, but, uh, you know, and uh, he had won his previous two starts, so he was um, he was two for two heading into the Arkansas Derby. He went off nine to one. Um, but I, I don't know. You know, um, I mean, he's, he's, he's by Curlin. He's out of a tap at Mare. He's had a little bit of time off. Um, you know, his works in between the Oakland race and this race have been good. Uh, you know, I, I'm just – I'm looking for somewhere else to go because I – you know, um, I'm not going to play justify at one to two or, or, or three to five. I, you know, should I play the race? I'll certainly throw him in because, you know, I have to respect the fact that he's unbeaten and, uh, you, you know, like Smarty Jones was, uh, you know. So I, I'm kind of looking at tenfold. But All right. Well, uh, you know, being from amid the Mid-Atlantic, how about the story about local boy makes good Diamond King, winner of the recent Federico Tessio, who scratched out of the stake in New York last week to come back here. I mean, the horse obviously, you know, had, you know, he's uh, six lifetime starts, four wins and a third. Uh, he's uh, getting Javier Castellano in the saddle, listed as a long shot at 30 to one. And while he won the Federico Tessio, that's proven to be a prep for this race, he's picking up 10 pounds. So a lot of question marks there, but we know he likes the neighborhood. 
Yeah, um, John Service had had um, spoken with um, with the Blood Horse about it, and you know he's got he's got some other races in mind for the horse. You know he's looking at like the I believe the I think he mentioned the Ohio Derby, um, the Haskell, the Pennsylvania Derby. You know, I, look, this race only drew eight horses. Um, it's going to be run on an off track. Of course, he's never run on an off track, but. You know, outside of that race where where um, you know where he clipped heels and 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 uh, lost Frankie Pennington at Churchill Downs, um, you know the horses run great and you know uh, he's well bred. It, it it wouldn't surprise me wouldn't wouldn't surprise me at all if that horse hit the board. You know, right. and you know he's locally based at Parks, and why not take a shot? You know. <laughs> I mean, a- absolutely. You know, he won like a I mile said, and an eighth, and you know this is a mile three sixteenth, which is like another sixteenth. I mean, why not give it a shot? So a- a- absolutely, I just wanted you to weigh in uh, on the local horse. Well, uh, we'll see how many races we can get to. The black-eyed Susan's kind of, uh, or had been in the past, the uh, round two of the Kentucky Oaks. Uh, we are seeing. Uh, couple oaks horses come come in here but uh primarily there's a lot of new shooters an interesting bag lightly raced and most of them trying for that mile and an eighth the first time so the grade two black eyed susan quarter million on the line uh anybody that uh, you kind of liked in here tom because it is wide open well um what i can do is talk about a horse that has that um has uh, raced at Laurel. Um, actually, she's two for two. Uh, number seven, good one, honey. Right. Um, you know, she, um, <laughs> this is one of these kind of horse. You know, we, we had a horse here in Maryland last year, uh, Henry Aspen, who, who, who was really, um, really impressive winning sprints. Um, in the winter and the spring, and the connections opted to run her in the Black Eyed Susan. It was her first start around two turns. Again, the track was sloppy for Black Eyed Susan Day. I'm pretty sure that it was, well, sloppy or muddy, whatever it was. You know, she ran a good race, but, you know, she just didn't have it at the top of the stretch. This filly did one, honey. You know, she broke her maiden at six furlongs, and I'll tell you what, it, 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 she was just had a very, very rough trip. She had every excuse to lose, and she pulled away to win by almost five lengths in one ten and four. And then uh, the trainer, Jason Egan, you know, he, he's, a very, he's a very, very good trainer, but he's also conservative. You know, he, 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 he spots his horses where he thinks they should be. So he stretched her out to a mile on the 16th in the Weber City Mistake, you know, which didn't draw a spectacular field, but it was a nine-horse field, and... Uh, you know, she wanted to lead early. She got it, and she pulled away to win by seven lengths. And, you know, I, I'm not worried about the speed figures at the time here. It's just the horse that that I watched and went, wow, you know, this is this is pretty interesting. And I don't think she catches, you know, like a, a, a you know, a really tough grade two. You know, it, part of it's, you know, like rooting for the horse because, you know, local owners, local trainers. 
And um, but she really has looked good, and you know she's five to one in the morning line. I think you might get that. So um, you know, I, I I do like her. I'm willing to take a shot on a horse because she's two for two and hasn't lost. The other horse I think uh, also five to one is uh, trained by Kellen Gorder, uh, who was yes. based at Keeneland Red Ruby. I think um, you know I, I, I'll I'll throw out the Honeybee. Um, you know, it was fast paced. She made a move. Um, she couldn't. She couldn't get to the top three. But um, I think if she runs back to her previous couple races, I think she has a really, really good shot. I, I, so. I do like her. As a matter of fact, I got to spend about a half an hour with Kellen Gorder uh, the other day uh, at Belterra Park. He had a horse uh, in the $75,000 stakes there that led all the way and just got caught at the wire. Uh, he actually has a farm that butts up to Keeneland. He can walk his horses yes. from his farm yes. to the training track. Not bad at all. Uh, I, I really respect him. Uh, I'll just chime in because we're coming down to like the uh, one-minute mark here. And I okay. kind of like Sarah Street in here with, with Dylan Davis aboard, Kira McLaughlin. Uh, if you look at this horse's lifetime career, has just got better and better and better. Set all this, the pace in the grade two gazelle and got caught only by a half length at the wire. Dylan Davis gets a chance uh, to redeem himself in the black-eyed Susan. So those are the big ones at Pimlico. Tom, we didn't get a chance. I hope you didn't handicap too much, but you need to handicap as much as you can anyhow from what I've seen uh, on the other races. <laughs> no, it's no I'm, problem, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm gonna have to close this segment out, That's but fine. Tom, yeah, you, you know, you know, I miss you because I don't get to see you locally anymore, and I just, uh, you know, hope hope you have a good time. Sad to say, it doesn't sound like uh, you're going to be uh, uh, working on your tan over the weekend, but I hope Absolutely you have a good time. <laughs> All right, well, have a good time at Pimlico, Tom Lamara. Okay. All right. Well, that was Tom. Earlier in the show, uh, we talked with Frank Angst, mostly about the uh, sports betting and the door that's going to open. It'll be very, very interesting in the months and years to come. Well, I also want to thank our main sponsor, uh, Woodbine, uh, the Jewel of Canada, uh, for sponsoring Winning Ponies. I want to thank Josh by Gosh, my producer, for keeping me in line. And I really want to remind you people go to winningponies.com the easy win forms are been hitting big going to be big pools a lot of races at pimlico this weekend put the slop factor in we got the numbers for you so for frank angst tom lamara josh by gosh i'm john Engelhart. remember when you go to the races bet with your head not over it Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.